My name is Josh Walters. I'm the campus pastor here at the Mount Pleasant campus, one of the teaching pastors here at Seacoast, and we are so excited that you're here to worship with us this morning. I want to welcome you if you're joining us online or in one of the venues or at an off-site campus, wherever you happen to be, we are glad that you are along as well. I want to give a special shout out to anybody that might be here for the first time or maybe relatively new here at Seacoast. I don't think you could have picked a better time or a better season to check out the church. August here at Seacoast is really all about small groups. One of our values here at the church is that we're committed to getting smaller as we get larger, meaning as our church grows, we're going to do everything we can possibly do to help you connect in small groups because we believe that significant life change happens in the context of relationships. So last week at First Wednesday, we celebrated our small group leaders. Pastor Josh gave a great word just giving vision on small groups for this new semester. If you haven't seen that message yet at the campuses, you will in weeks ahead at, at various leader rallies. The last two weeks of this month and the first week of September are given entirely to connecting across every campus. We're going to have tables out in the breezeway with men and women and couples, young professionals, small groups kicking off, various classes from divorce care, grief share, search for significance, financial peace, just about every kind of class you could think of. But we're excited to help you connect and hope as you're prioritizing your calendar and plans for a new semester that how you would connect in some new relationships at Seacoast will be a part of that planning. For the last few weeks, we've been in a series called Joshua Take the Land, where we've been tracking with the nation of Israel out of their 40 years in the wilderness and into the promised land. In two weeks, we're going to kick off a new series, staying in the book of Joshua, but instead of Joshua Take the Land, it's going to be Joshua A New Beginning. As we're looking at kicking off a new semester and new rhythms in our lives, we're going to look at how the nation of Israel really started a new season, a new chapter in their life to see what truths we can learn from them and apply it to ours. I'm excited about that because that series is going to end with Max Lucado here on a weekend. He just released a new book on the book of Joshua, so he'll be here to speak on that. So as we kick off a new semester, a lot of exciting stuff. We hope that you'll uh, make it a priority to be here to join us on the weekend. Well, last week, Pastor Josh had us in chapter 3, where we found the nation of Israel on the shore of the wilderness, looking across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. One of my favorite verses in that chapter was verse 4, when Joshua said, As you see the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the power and presence of God, move into the Jordan, follow it, then you will know which way to go, for you have not been this way before, upon which God would do something miraculous, part the waters, and they would enter into the Promised Land. Today we're going to pick up with them on the shores of the promised land to see what the first thing that God would have them do was. But before we do that, why don't you join me? Let's take just a minute and pray. God, we thank you so much uh, for this day. We thank you, God, just for time to come together and get in your word and go after you. I thank you for the book of Joshua, for the way that we saw you fight for and provide for, uh, speak and guide your people. And I'm thankful that today you are that same God the God who fights for us, protects us, provides for us. And I know in a crowd this size that there are many who came today with questions that only you could answer, hurts or wounds that only you could bring about healing, uh, confusion or chaos in their lives that only you could bring about clarity. So we pray that you would be present in power and be the same God that you, that you were that we see throughout this book of Joshua in our lives today. We pray that you would accomplish something that only you could get the credit for. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this year, Katie and I have been married for 12 years, and in that time, we have moved nine times. Uh, and for each of the houses we've lived in, I've, you know, put on new roofs, windows, 
kitchen, floors, moved around walls, done a significant amount of work in each of these homes. We've gone on to rent most of them out for a season, so I played homeowner and landlord, constantly going back to the houses. But if you were to ask me today what were the addresses, the street addresses on any of those homes, I could tell you the street address we live in now, which is helpful just for getting home and sending and receiving mail. I could tell you the one we moved out of two years ago, and I can tell you the first one. <laughs> but there's six others in the middle uh, that I have to think hard to even tell you the name of the neighborhood that they were in. I talk about them like they're a Dr. Seuss book. You know, there's the greenhouse, the yellow house, the house on the hill, the tall house. You know, <laughs> I can't remember uh, the streets they're on at all. It's amazing to me how our minds work. If you're anything like me, I tend to remember the things that I should forget and forget the things that I should remember. All the ladies are saying amen, pointing to the guy beside him. You know the deal. You know, It's hard. I have to work hard to memorize scripture. I write out note cards, post-it notes, put it on the screen on my smartphone. I record myself saying it and listen to it while I run. It's hard for me to memorize scripture, yet without any effort whatsoever, I can recite just about every word from every Snoop Dogg song released in the 90s. You know? How many are with me? You know the deal. I don't understand. Tone Loke, Wild Thing, R. Kelly, totally inappropriate for an eighth grader, but I got them on lockdown, you know? I have to think about it. I could just recite them to you. Whether it's personal, silly memories or exciting, memorable stuff or, or really devastating, painful stuff, it's fascinating what our mind seems to hold on to and record. How many of you, for example, remember exactly where you were on 9-11? Just about everybody here. And for those of you who know him and love him, that's also Pastor, uh, Pastor Josh Surratt's birthday. That's not the event that I was talking about. But the date is coming up. So if you're thinking about giving him a gift, he's registered at Bed Bath & Beyond. <laughs> Just kidding. So 9-11, I was attending God's favored institution of higher education, the University of South Carolina. And uh, that's right. <laughs> was walking in the Darla Moore School of Business. I had been in and out of that building hundreds of times. It was usually a, a busy, crowded space with hundreds of students, and this day would be no different. But as I walked in the building that day, uh, all of the students were gathered around TVs or laptops, hundreds of them, and nobody was saying a word. I remember walking in the room thinking, what in the world could they be watching? What's so important that nobody is saying a word? And as I got closer to hear of the news, I remember the environment being so odd and the news so devastating that it's as if my mind took a mental snapshot that got placed on this photo reel of moments that have forever marked my life in some way. I remember thinking that day, this changes everything. The next day when I got up and was walking to class, I stopped and picked up this paper because I remembered thinking, Man, my kids are going to read about this in their history books one day. And it's going to be an event just like any other. You know, they're not going to have felt the chaos or seen the way that our country rallied around that state to love and care and serve for them. It's just going to be another story. We've all experienced moments like that that we never will forget, that have marked us in some way. We have a way of memorializing those culturally so that we'll forever remember the lives that were lost the price that was paid for our freedom. Memorials remind us that our lives are part of a bigger story. If you were to travel around our country today, you would find 30 national 
memorials, some of which commemorating U.S. presidents like the Lincoln Memorial or special historic figures like the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial or special events like the Vietnam Memorial. That's not to mention the hundreds of other memorials that have been established by private organizations to commemorate people or places that were special to them. We do this culturally to help us remember, but we also do it individually as well. A couple years after Katie and I got married, we went to China. And uh, uh, I was a history major in college, so always fascinated by, you know, things like the Great Wall or Forbidden City and terracotta warriors. And so while we were there, I picked up this small terracotta warrior. And periodically, I'll be meeting with somebody in my office, and they're like, hey, man, what's up with that little Buddha? <laughs> like, it's not a Buddha, you bozo. It's a terracotta warrior, <laughs> a kneeling soldier. Used to hold a crossbow that disintegrated in the ground because it was buried for thousands of years. Read a book, you know, Google it, something. Buddha. It's ridiculous. A couple years after that trip, Katie and I bought a car on eBay in Scottsdale, Arizona. Bought a one-way ticket, flew out there, and as we were flying out there, I had a great idea, unique idea. Thought, I'm going to buy a coffee mug from every state we drive through. Nobody's thought of that, right? So the, the history major in me thought, I want to get a coffee mug that has some fun facts. So while I'm drinking my coffee in the morning, I can learn a little bit too, you know? So this one had the, the state flag, New Mexico. Let me know the state was established January 6, 1912. Helpful information. Let me know New Mexico's state bird is, wait for it, Roadrunner. You thought that was just a cartoon? No. <laughs> Real time right here. I love my mugs. Till one day, Katie let me know that she wanted to get rid of all those mugs because she thought they looked tacky. <laughs> I said, well, babe, they're, they're in a cabinet. You know, does it matter how they look? Nobody's going to see them when they come over to the house. I like my mugs. They tell a story. She said, no, I want all white mugs. So we had a little bit of marital debate as to whether or not we should get rid of my coffee mugs until one day I came home and she had decided to get rid of them herself. All but New Mexico, because it was in the dishwasher. <laughs> I almost sent her back to Arizona. Said, M I, crickleta, crickleta, I, crickleta, crickleta, I, humpback, humpback, I want my Mississippi cough mug. You know, <laughs> go back and get it. Regardless of what they are, we all have a way of memorializing events like that, places that we've been, things that we've experienced, because if we don't, significant life occurrences could become distant memories that are eventually forgotten. Because of the pace of our lives and the responsibilities that we carry, it's easy for us to get where we've come from, and more importantly, who got us here. And this was no less true in biblical times. To help his people remember the works that he had done for, him, done for them and how God had faithfully been present in their lives, periodically God would command his people to build memorials, one of which we're going to look at today in Joshua chapter 4. The Israelites had just crossed the Jordan River to take possession of the promised land. And about the time, I would imagine them casting off restraint. You can imagine they've been in the wilderness for 40 years, eating manna. Manna was bread from heaven. And the word literally means, what is it? It showed up one day on the ground and they ate it. God provided it to them for 40 years. They've been hearing about this promised land, a, man, a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm thinking as I entered into it, man, I'd have been looking behind trees, up over hills, you know, where is this milk and honey? I'm going to get me some of that. I'm done with this manna. Well, it was about that moment where God pushed pause. 
He had them stop to build a memorial so that they might remember who he is and what he had done. The best example that I have of this is Christmas morning at the Walters house. We have five kids, two, four, seven, almost 11, and 12. The girls are the oldest. Uh, Their gifts are starting to get expensive and techy, things like laptops and iPods. And the boys' gifts are starting to get fast and fun, motorized scooters, bicycles, zip lines. And so by the time Christmas morning comes, we are just as excited to see them open their gifts as I think they are to get them. We've been up way too late because the presentation is just as important as the gift. You know what I'm talking about. The kids wake up way too early. So we all come out in the living room, and I'm excited to see them rip open their gifts so that I can get back in bed for a couple hours before breakfast. You know what I'm talking about. Well, it's at that moment when emotions are high, we're tired, they're excited, we can't wait to see them open up their presents that Katie wants us to stop and read the Christmas story. I'm like, babe, do the eight Christmas Eve services we just attended count for anything, you know? Our kids have just done every Christmas nativity craft imaginable, formed and fashioned a clay baby Jesus, decoupaged a Joseph, painted a Mary. We've done all but reenacted the Christmas story uh, ourselves, you know? Like the last thing I want to do is stop right now and read the Christmas story, but it's so important because without it, our kids would rip open the gifts go throughout their day and forget the very purpose that we're gathered to celebrate. Well, Joshua 4, 1 through 3, there on your outline, says this. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. See, before delivering on a promise that he had been waiting generations to fulfill, he had them stop so that they might remember the incredible work that he had done, so that their faith might be strengthened, and so that future generations would see those stones and say, man, what are those all about? And get to hear the story of the incredible work that God had done. If it was true for them who lived lives void of social media or email or smartphones or any of the other things that clutter our lives today. How much more true, how needed a discipline must stopping to remember, to memorialize the work of God in our lives be for us today? Think about what God was doing here. He had taken an entire nation across the river. Numbers 26 tells us that it was approximately 600,000 men, not to mention women and children. 12 tribes of people across the Jordan River. He picked one man from each tribe so that every tribe may have a memory of this occasion as they went their own ways. Sent them back into their past. I want you to walk back into the river you just walked out of and pick up a stone where the Ark of the Covenant once stood, which represented the power and presence of God. Pick up that stone and carry it out of the river to set them up as a memorial. It makes me curious as to how many treasures might be buried in your past that God might want you to go back and unearth, to do the hard work of stewarding, of carrying them into your present and future so that your faith might be strengthened and so that future generations would get to see and hear of the power of God in your life. See, for each of us, those treasures, those testimonies of what God has done are only preserved when we take the time to remember 
So how do we do that? More importantly, why should we do that? A couple thoughts for us today there on your outline. First of all, when I stop to remember it, number one, connects me with all God has done. Connects me with all God has done. After having crossed through the Jordan, Joshua 4, 20 through 24, there on your outline tells us, and Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until he had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Now be honest, in hearing that story, does it make you personally think, man, the Lord is powerful? What can't he accomplish in my life? If he could do that for them, what can't he do for me? Does it instill any of the fear of the Lord in you? Inspire you to live lives that are holy or righteous because you see what a mighty God that he is? For some of us, we would probably say yes. Yes, it does. While for many of us, we would say, you know, if I'm honest, it sounds a little far-fetched. Sounds a little bit like a children's story. I've just never seen the power of God on display like that. Well, what if the missing ingredient in the story of God's presence and power becoming real, becoming personal for future generations, isn't buried somewhere in the pages of Scripture, but is actually buried in your past? See, though this story happened thousands of years ago, what if the bridge that God wants to use to help future generations experience Him, know that He loves them and is with them, is actually found in the work that He's done in your life? Is that, is that even possible? Two of my favorite passages that speaks to this, the first of which is Revelation 12, 11. It says, they overcame him, talking about the enemy, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So literally meaning there was victory for people today. There was breakthrough today because of the blood of the lamb, meaning the finished work of Jesus on the cross, what he accomplished, and the word of their testimony. Meaning as they were willing to look back and see the things that God had delivered them from, areas that he had brought healing and breakthrough, as they remembered the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, there was faith for today and courage for tomorrow. Another passage is 2 Corinthians uh, 1, 3 through 4. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So where do we as believers find comfort? Two places, the first of which is in the promises of God in his word, and the second is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Bible calls the Holy Spirit our counselor, our comforter, our friend. So meaning as we've walked through any number of things, some seasons that you maybe have forgotten on purpose, but as we face today, things that we are walking through, things that friends, neighbors, or loved ones are walking through, God uses us as a conduit to comfort them with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. As we're willing to cling to his word, as we're willing to remember and process the work that he's done in our lives, we have the ability to breathe life, speak life, give hope to people. So what has God done in your life that's changed you in some way? What has he said that's moved you or inspired you? These moments, these experiences serve as a bridge 
for the next generation to take the narrative of the Bible from being stories about those people and their God to potential testimonies about my God. Here in Joshua chapter 4, the nation of Israel is standing on the shore of the promised land. They've walked through the Jordan River, and they're now recipients of a land that God had promised to generations before them. It was a moment that stopping to remember would connect them to all God had done and preserve the memory for future generations. So I've got a question for you there on your outlines. What are you doing to preserve God's work for future generations? You know, there's 15,000 people that hear this message this weekend. There could be 15,000 different answers to that. Some of you are artists, and, and to express your thoughts and feelings, you create things. I think about Carrie Davis or April Knight that have painted here at the church during worship on First Wednesdays. The way they see and express things, memorialize the work that God has done in their lives through art. Maybe you create things, draw things, paint things. I think for many people, that's the way that they use social media. Uh, they see a beautiful sunrise, or they read a passage, or one of their children say something or do something, and it just speaks to their heart, so they post it on social media to memorialize that in some way. My wife every year will actually take those pictures and print them off. There's an app you can use to print off all the pictures that you've posted and buy them bound in a book. And each year I think, well, you know, babe, we could go back and look at those pictures online for free. And save that money instead of letting Asher rip the pages. It's just a thought. I don't know, you know, but I'm thankful. <laughs> I'm thankful that she does that. Another way that we do that in our house, we have a, a memory wall. And on our memory wall, we have a bunch of pictures. We brought a picture to show you of different seasons of our life that we've walked through to commemorate things we've experienced. One of which, a uh, picture on that wall, is a picture of some of Katie's ultrasound pictures. Uh, between our second and our, our third child, Katie had three late-term miscarriages. Uh, for two of them, she had to have surgeries to remove the, the baby. And I remember those seasons being very painful for us, especially for her. It was different for me as a guy, just walking with her, crying with her, trusting God that he had a plan, all the while questioning, what does this mean for our family? We felt called to have a big family. So on Mother's Day one year, I took all the ultrasound pictures of the babies that we had lost and decoupaged them on this canvas, cut some pages of scripture out, kind of made a little cross in the middle. But now for our family, man, it memorialized, it reminds us not only of a, a painful season, but really an incredible work, the grace of God that's now displayed when we see each of our other five kids ripping pages out of books. You know? <laughs> see this, say, thank you, God. You know, I'm thankful the way that you blessed us. It doesn't matter what you do, it just matters that you do it. That you get creative in memorializing the work of God in your life so that future generations might hear the way, hear the stories that he's worked in your life and have faith and hope and courage for how God might want to move in theirs. So when we stop to remember, it connects me with what God has done. And number two there on your outline, it allows me to experience what God is doing. For the nation of Israel, this was a critical moment. They had been in slavery for 400 years, been in the wilderness for 40 years. Children had grown up and become parents that were now grandparents. And in every season of their life, the question had been the same. Are we there yet? Having heard of this promised land, longing to be there, and they weren't. My, uh, my parents live in Columbia. And with Katie and I having five kids, one of us is always on I-26. 
And by the time we get there, we literally explode out of the, out of the van. <laughs> it's like with that many kids, somebody's leg has always fallen asleep. Somebody's toy has all, always been lost or stolen or dropped. Somebody wants to see a movie for a second time that you didn't enjoy hearing the first time. You know, so many needs, personalities. By the time we get there, it's like, bah! you know, kids got to run around, wrestle, scream, fuss, clap, you know, do whatever they need to do just to get the angst from being on the road out of them. Well, for the nation of Israel, this was no ordinary road trip. This was a new destination, a new day. A page was turned in their history. One generation of people was born in the wilderness and homeless. The next generation of people would grow up in prosperity, living in the promised land. Because of that, God warned them in Deuteronomy 6, there on your outline, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a, large, a land with large, flourishing cities that you did not build, houses filled with all kind of good things that you did not provide, wells that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. See, what God is doing here in Joshua chapter 4 is helping his people heed his instruction. It would be so easy for them to run off, take hold of the land, explore the land, and miss out on really getting to experience that moment and what God was doing. The best example of this was my wedding day. How many of you remember your wedding day? All right, so usually now when I officiate a wedding, the order of service goes something like uh, the welcome, letting people know we're glad you're here, the sermon or the charge, the declaration of intent, the vows, the rings, and then the pronouncement. And the pronouncement goes something like, by the power given to me as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ and in accordance with the laws of the state of South Carolina, I now pronounce you husband and wife. What God has brought together, let no man separate. At which point, I turn to the groom and say, you may kiss your bride. Which, by the way, repeatedly brings up the most awkward 20 seconds of my pastoral career. <laughs> Every time. All of you are sitting 20 or 30 feet away and think, oh, it's so beautiful. And I'm a foot away from their face, <laughs> watching them go at it. You know? <laughs> Two people that have been fighting for purity for months that now have a license to practice. You know? <laughs> I look up at them, I look at you, I look back at my notes, it's like, oh, they're still kissing. What do I look at? <laughs> it's just awkward. You have a new grace for your pastor that you didn't before. <laughs> but immediately following the pronouncement, before the introduction of the couple, I love to take that moment and say something along the lines of the bride and the groom would love to take this moment to pray and, and dedicate their marriage to the Lord. And they would love for you to take this time to pray for them as well. In those first few moments of marriage, we've received communion, we've sang songs, we've done hand-tying ceremonies, sand ceremonies. One couple did a paint-pour thing. Anything you've seen on Pinterest, we've done in that moment <laughs> in a wedding. But what I love about it is think about what's happening here. Scripture says, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. For this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It's entering into a covenant established by God, different than any other relationship. It's a holy moment. And when you think back on your wedding day, man, it's easy to forget vows you made, conversations you had. 
we look back at pictures from our wedding day like, who is that guy? You know, like, I didn't know she was there. It's, it's, it's just easy to forget. So when you set aside that moment, it allows you to experience what God is doing. So it leads me to question there on your outline. What are you involved in right now that's lasting or memorial worthy? What are you involved in that would change the world? You know, when I walk around our building here today at the Mount Pleasant campus, there are, are brick pavers around the, uh, the side of the building for people who gave sacrificially during our Imagine the Possibilities campaign years ago to build a building for children and students. Without those folks having given sacrificially, that building would not be there. And now every week, there's thousands of children and students who get to hear God's word in an age-appropriate environment because people gave sacrificially. They remembered the call on their lives to do something of, of lasting impact, that they might experience what God was doing today. About a year ago, we entered into a partnership with Lifeline Children Services and Journey Together Ministries to resolve the foster care crisis here in our community. At the time, there were 360 children in need of a home. And over the last year, dozens of families have completed training. Families have gone forward to get licensing through DSS to open up their hearts and home to forever impact the life of a child. This month, here in the Mount Pleasant campus, there's 80 people that are going through the inside track. Folks that have attended here on the weekend and have taken a next step to say, hey, I want to take some ownership of the vision of helping people become fully devoted followers of Christ, getting connected in a small group, using my gifts to serve here in the church, giving financially to support the ministry. You know, for many of us, when we think about what am I currently doing to change the world, we have some thoughts, we have some stuff that comes to mind, but for a lot of us, we think, well, I'm just busy right now. This new job, our move, the kids, their ages, nap times, there's so many hurdles that I would have to overcome to allow me to be a part of something lasting, something memorial worthy. But man, all we are promised is today. Scripture says that your life is a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. You're not even promised tomorrow. But man, when we wake up today and say, okay, God, help me see beyond myself a little bit. How would you have me serve or give or encourage my neighbor or love and serve a friend? Be a part of something that could literally change their world. From using your gifts, there's just so many ways that you can do it. When I stop to remember to pull back from the busyness and burdens of the day, it allows me to see and experience what God is doing. So when I stop to remember, it connects me with what God has done. It allows me to experience what he's doing. And number three there on your outline, it gives me confidence in what God will do. It gives me confidence in what God will do. What's the last significant challenge that you face? You know, typically when I face a challenge of some kind, the questions that go through my head are, are something like, do I have what it takes? Can I do this? You know, what's the outcome going to be? Can I make it? Well, for 440 years now, God had been faithful to answer that question for the nation of Israel. And though he never put it in these words, his response was something like, no, you can't, but I can and I will. Over and over again, we saw him fight for and provide for his people. From 400 years being enslaved in Egypt to when he parted the Red Sea, to the 40 years in the wilderness where he provided manna for them to eat, to the parting of the Jordan River for them to walk through to inherit the promised land. Time and time again, we saw God show up and provide for his people. And here in Joshua chapter 4, the nation of Israel is standing in the promised land. And in Joshua 4, 19, 
there in your outlines, we read, on the 10th day of the first month, the people went from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. I want to help you just get a picture of what this might have been like. For the last 40 years, these people have been wandering in the wilderness. For 40 years, they've never seen a war. They've never faced a fight of any kind. For that matter, they've never even seen a fortified city. Now they've entered into the promised land, which God was going to give them. The only issue is that right now it's inhabited by other people. So in order for them to take possession of the land, they're going to have to fight for it. So they enter into camp on the eastern border of Jericho. As they sat there, it had to look like this massive mystery. Have you ever looked at something in your life that was so big, seemed like it was going to be so difficult that it was almost paralyzing? Even having experienced the miraculous, I can't help but wonder what was in their minds as they camped and looked off at Jericho in the distance. How in the world are we going to defeat that? wealthy, large, fortified walls. What is this going to be like? If I'm Joshua, which I am, which kind of makes this exciting <laughs> for me to tell the story, I would have called the leaders together. Imagine calling the leaders of the 12 tribes together, setting them here in front of the memorial, the 12 stones that they picked up out of the Jordan with Jericho off in the distance. It was almost as if Joshua was saying, the only way that you're going to be able to face your future, the only way that you're going to be able to take the challenges in front of you, the only way that you're going to be able to deal with the fear inside of you is by being reminded of what God has done. The only way that you will see yourself accurately, the only way that you're going to know what you're capable of is when you look back to remember what he has done. The same truth applies for us today. When we stop to remember it gives us confidence in what God will do. The greatest source of inspiration, the greatest source of encouragement comes from looking back at what he's already done, what he's carried you through. What's even more amazing about this is that it doesn't have to necessarily be something he's walked with you through. You know, if you've gone through a season of unemployment, hearing how God has provided and cared for somebody else gives you hope for what he might do for you. If you're walking through a season of grief or loss, God's word said he draws close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Hearing someone's story about how God has drawn close to them and comforting them can give life to you. So the question for you there on your outline is this. What current situation do you need to run through the filter of God's previous works? What are you facing today that maybe you need to see differently or you need to speak to differently in light of the ways that God has worked in the past. I'm reminded of the way that David spoke to Goliath, or that David spoke to Saul as he faced Goliath. He said, the same God that delivered me from the paw of the lion and the bear will deliver me from that Philistine. He was able to have faith, courage for today, be brave in light of what was coming his way because of the things that God had done in the past. He remembered those events. They were substance to him, gave him life for today. He could trust not in what he was capable of, but in who God was and what he was capable of to give him faith for what was coming. So as I stop to remember, it connects me with what God has done. It allows me to experience what God is doing, and it gives me confidence in what God will do. So we close, I want to tell you a story. On December 14th, 2003, uh, Katie and I found ourselves in the hospital about to have our first child. 
And we were so excited. We knew we wanted to have a large family. And I knew that God's word said, be fruitful and multiply. So if we were going to have the number of children that could only be attained via multiplication and not addition, we had to get to work early. So here a year in to marriage, we're having our first child, eight months. And then we did all the stuff. We had a mural painted in our nursery. I'd gotten this special decorative tape and taped the borders of every wall. And uh, we had a six-foot wooden stork planted in our front yard right by the road, announcing to all our neighbors, you know, her, her birth, her name, weight, all that kind of stuff. We picked out her name. We met a little girl named Anna Brett, named after her dad. Anna Josh just didn't sound pretty, but Katie always calls me Jay, so Anna Jay was going to be her name. And I remember the day of her birth, being in the hospital, holding Katie's hand, just smiling, tears of joy. You know, the miracle of childbirth. The Bible tells us that God numbers the hairs on our heads, that he knits us together in our mother's womb. You know, childbirth is as if heaven touches earth and you get to experience in a moment the gift of new life. It's just incredible. So we're there just smiling, laughing, crying, and Anna Jay's born, and it was a relatively quiet delivery. Our first child, I didn't have any expectations of what this was supposed to be like. But right as she was born, the, the nurses carried her off quickly, and you ladies know how that goes. They're smacking her feet and sucking fluid out of her throat, and pretty quickly we realized that something wasn't right. And our tears of joy kind of turned into tears of panic. We started hearing the nurses say things like, we need to hear her cry. We need to hear her cry. And there was urgency in their voice. And I asked the nurse beside me, why, why do we need to hear her cry? She said, as soon as she takes a deep breath, we'll know that she's cleared out her throat and lungs and taken her first breath. She had swallowed a lot of amniotic fluid in delivery and wasn't breathing. So, man, I remember my prayer being exactly what the nurse had said. God, please let us hear her cry. I'd never met her before. It's like all I wanted was to hear her cry. And it was in that moment, as clear as I've ever heard God speak, that God said, that is how bad I desire to hear you cry out to me. And man, it was like in a moment, I just, I felt the Father's heart. I knew that. The Bible says pray without ceasing. You know, I know the importance, the power in prayer. But man, in that moment where I felt his heart, it forever changed the way that I look at prayer. It's not something that I have to do. It's something that I get to do. In the same way that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Peter and James and John and Jesus all cried out to God, I get to cry out to him as well. That he wants to have a relationship with me. Now the crazy thing, the sad thing about that story is that I don't do a good job journaling. I, I'm not a faithful storyteller where I regularly tell Anna Jay that story. But man, that's a truth that could forever mark her life. It happened at her birth, you know? God could use that to cultivate in her a heart for prayer that nothing I'll ever say could accomplish. And I have so many moments like that, so many testimonies, so many stories that I feel like are hanging on by a thread because I'm so focused on today, you know, or running so hard after tomorrow that I fail to just stop and remember the incredible work that God has done in my life, to memorialize it, in some way, to share it with the next generation, that it might be used as the bridge that God uses to draw them into a relationship with him. I mean, it's not an easy process. For a lot of us, that's a sweet story, a special story. For a lot of us, as we think about our, our past, man, there are painful places, losses, grief, things that we've walked through that God's carried us through, times that he's drawn close to us. 
that he would have us go back and unearth those stories to steward them into our present, into our future, that they might be a source of life for others. None of which would happen if we don't stop and take the time to remember. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this book. I praise you, God, for your example here in Joshua chapter 4. God, it seemed like such an odd chapter, and now I see it as such a purposed one where you call your people to stop and remember. God, culturally, we just repent. We do not do a good job of that. We're so excited about today, so hopeful about the future, that to stop and remember oftentimes can feel like wasted time. So God, I pray that today you would begin to redeem, begin to reframe some of our past, some of our memories, that they would be a source of life, that they would be the very thing that you use to give us faith and courage for today and hope for tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen.